findanastrologer.com, the best astrologer database online. Search astrologers' bios, events in your area, featured articles, book reviews, blogs, MP3 downloads, video downloads, resources, and interviews. Findanastrologer.com, illuminate your journey. So I'm here with Nick Dagan Best, and uh, we're here to talk about uh, some of your newer work, Nick, um, Time Twins, some of your Time Twins work, and also some um, new book work that you have um, planned. So uh, welcome. Oh, thank you, Tony. Thanks for having me. To the Find an Astrologer um, podcast. Terrific. You found me. <laughs> I, can, I can vouch for Tony if you're looking for astrology, right. so you can find them. <laughs> right. Awesome. You know, so one of the things I wanted to start talking about was, was this amazing database of info that you've been collecting because it kind of seems to form the backbone of a lot of the work that you're doing yeah. these days. So can you tell me about how you got started creating that database? And, sure. and, uh, and, 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 um, I also know from watching one of your other interviews that you're kind of driven, um, <laughs> to collect that information. So tell me more about that. Um, yeah, no, I am. Um, uh, I guess I got to go way back to pretty early on in my studies. Um, I think a lot of people, find astrology first by looking at their chart. I found astrology, before I ever looked at my own chart or anyone's round circle pie chart, I saw an ephemeris. And it was actually the ephemeris that spoke to me and said, you know, check this out. Uh, this is something you want to know about. Not so much the birth chart, although naturally, you know, eventually I did start casting charts and got very interested in studied astrology as, as most of us do, learning the pie chart. But um, the ephemeris was my was was the um, crooked finger beckoning to me uh, to to investigate this body of knowledge, mm -hmm. and um, and it was apropos because before finding astrology, I was just one of those. We all know people like this. A lot of them are sort of sports fans or war buffs or what have you. People who memorize dates. Right. And, and figures and things like that. I'm not good at math. Some people say, oh, you're really good at math. No, I'm not good at math. I'm good, right. I'm good at the calendar. It's a very different thing. Um, so the, it's, it's just a natural sort of fascination I always had. I was someone who always knew everybody's birthday uh, long before I had any interest in astrology um, and, and dates of famous historical events or, you know, when you know, dates when such and such rock band played such and such city and what have you. Just that, that was that was who I was. Right. Um, then I got into astrology and I was always I mean, I was always compelled by the notion of transit. So it wasn't it wasn't just sort of the, the fixed birth chart that attracted me. It was the idea that, um, you know, the planets are always moving and it's and and we can follow this movement and in some way it seems to correlate with uh, the unfolding of people's lives and events in history and stuff. So that was what got me. Now, I, I knew I wanted to write books. And so um, and when I was really starting the research, I would look at charts and I would write down notes. But, you know, note, notebooks fill up fast and they're really sort of, oh, you remember the age of paper, Tony? <laughs> yeah, I'm, a, I'm still in the yeah, age of paper, age actually. Of paper. <laughs> well, you know, this, this, you know, if you're looking for something, you got to like flip through all these pages to find it. It's uh, yep. really barbaric, frankly. Um, and, yeah. Um, but to make a long story short, I started using, I got Solar Fire in 1999. And um, Solar Fire is, for, for the listeners who don't know, it's a chart casting software that... Uh, a lot of astrologers use. Um, if they don't use SolarFire, they use one of the competing brands. But uh, uh, the astrology software, along with being able to cast a chart in, you know, instantly uh, by typing in the data, there's also a little section, a comment section, where you can uh, add in notes and type, uh, you know, whatever sort of information you want to back up that chart. And I started getting the habit of using that comment section to, to type all my notes in. And I was using my notebook less and less, and eventually I just sort of realized that the software was my notebook, and that right. and and a very efficient notebook because I, you know it can be carried around on a well back then in 1999 it could be carried around on a floppy disk or a CD. Uh, now it doesn't even have to be that; it can be a little flash drive or or you know an email attachment, um, <laughs> as opposed to some clumsy book that could get lost or fall in the bathtub or destroyed in a fire or whatever. So um, so it just sort of dawned on me 
that this this tool, uh, this this software package had this whole other feature. It might not have been the intention of of the designers for it to be used in this way, but just gradually over time, I just every chart that I studied, I would save into a into a file. And there would be notes and with the notes, there'll be sort of a description of, of the person or the event. And then also whatever sources I use to find that that chart, whatever books or newspapers I read, what have you. Um, so jump ahead over a decade later. Um, this database has hundreds of files. Basically, you know, think of any politician. Um, Painter, musician, uh, uh, royal—you know—any uh, um, anyone who's who's pretty famous, whose life is well documented. You know, murderers, gangsters, uh, any number of of people. And I've got a file on them uh, with their birth chart and the birth chart of anyone that was associated with them in their lives, and um, a, as many events as I could find. Charts for as many events as I could find. Um, in in uh, for for events in that person's life, so it becomes sort of this little digital biography, you know, astrological biography. Um, whereas, so after a while of doing this, uh, you know, I can open up a file in person and just sort of it's, you know, look at anywhere from maybe a couple of dozen to a few hundred. Uh, uh, charts all pertaining to uh, the life of a of a given person, and the the extra bonus is because it's done in in the astrology software. Um, I can also use the search features, say, to look for every chart in a file that has a Venus retrograde or that has um, Mars and Scorpio or you know Saturn square Jupiter or whatever I'm nice. looking for. Um, so you know a lot of this other work I do things like recurrence transits and and the other sort of cyclical studies I do uh, the synodic cycles of Venus and Mars it becomes really handy and I don't I don't really see how I could have uh, um, learned all the things I've learned without doing things this way and uh, at the same time I wouldn't have been able to do things this way until more or less around the time I started doing them. Because when I got Solar Fire in 1999, it was the the you know I think they were on version four at the time. Uh, it was um, the software was really just starting to to get its uh, you know uh, to to catch up with the end of the 20th century, shall we say? So it was uh, it, my finding Solar Fire when I did. I I like to uh, uh, I, I I like to analogize it's it's similar to. Jimi Hendrix finding Marshall amps, you know, right when he was forming a band, which is true. They were literally Marshall amplifiers were were invented, you know, just before Jimi Hendrix needed them. And, right. and so it, it's sort of the same thing for me. Solar fire, you know, uh, um, had I been who I was studying astrology 10 years earlier, I could not have put this database together. It was something that really happened at the time. It could as soon as it could. Um well, thanks for. I mean, that, that's really, really a, an amazing project, and I'm glad somebody out there is, is doing it, and and uh, definitely something that we need. Oh, thank you. So you're also clearly interested in in history in the first place. Did you have a? Did you study history in college, or has it just always been an interest? It's always been an interest. I come from, uh, I come from a family that is very. Uh, everyone in my family is a historian of some kind. Um, either, you know, I mean, from my grandmother who taught it in school to, uh, my grandfather, dad, and mother who just are the kind of people who always had a lot of history books around. Uh, and it was the, you know, the common topic around the dinner table, uh, throughout my life and still is. Um, so it was really, it was just in my blood. I didn't, I don't have a, I don't have a history degree. Uh, back when I was in college, I certainly took some classes. Yeah. Um, but that by no means uh, lays the foundation of my sort of uh, interest in the subject. Um, I certainly became more interested than ever in astrology, in, in history, once I picked up astrology. Um, I went through a phase, I, I think a lot of us go through this, you know, in, in high school and college, I was very engaged intellectually. And then when I left school and, and quote unquote entered the real world, uh, I wasn't reading that many books. I wasn't terribly, uh, um, you know, I wasn't maintaining my uh, intellectual curiosity. 
uh, and then I was, I think, 26 years old when I found astrology. And that was during a period of my life when I just happened to start reading books again. Mm-hmm. Astrology books fell into that, and that was how I got involved. So the, my interest in, in history was, was rekindled, I think, by my interest in astrology. Cool. Just wondering, after having collected all this information and looked at your database and also looking at it from the perspective of, of being a skeptic, um, which we also just know about you from watching uh, some interviews um, with you on YouTube that, that any listeners can check out by doing a, a search for, for your name, Nick Dagan Best. But, um, but that presents you with a, a really special perspective to be able to analyze the data. Um, I wouldn't say objectively. It's almost like reverse objectively. <laughs> trying to disprove astrology, I think, is something you said in another, another interview. But, um, but then when you actually are faced with the data, that becomes more and more impossible. But I'm wondering if there are any assumptions that you had that after looking at all this data that, that um, you've kind of proven not true or, or some things that you've been surprised by. Well, I'll say this, um, and this is something that isn't isn't unique to me. Um, When I speak to other really experienced astrologers, they attest to a similar uh, experience studying astrology. I'd say the first sort of three years, four years of my study, I was one of those people who was really, really good at guessing people's sun signs. (laughs) Right. And and, uh, eventually, what happened was I... um, as I kept studying, um, I became more and more aware of all the uh, uh, distinctions uh, that, you know, you, you become more and more aware as you study astrology that, you know, even though you can say some glib and funny things about all Virgo suns or all Leo suns or what have you, at the end of the day, the really, you know, the, uh, an astrological archetype is very similar to an ethnic stereotype. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's no history. No one's been um, sort of, you know, murdered or harassed for their astrological sign, thankfully. But so it makes it a little easier to sort of, uh, you know, talk about it in that way. But at the same time, it, it's it's um, they're often as true as 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 that. There's there, there's certain things that are true enough that you can make them as general statements, but uh, the more you're thinking about, uh, the more you're thinking about things, the more you're aware of, of things, the more you realize that, uh, not only are those definitions very superficial, but in a greater sense, they're not true at all. They're, they're just true enough that you can, that you can make statements and they, they seem true enough. They apply well enough, you know, to, in a, in a, in a sort of superficial fashion, but at some level you become aware of this sort of much deeper, greater chasm, uh, uh, that, that exists from, from, you know, one individual to the other. Uh, um, and I think that's the thing that, that ultimately, you know, you, you, you can never climb back up that hill and, and <laughs> you, you can't unlearn, uh, the astrology you've learned and go back to like thinking about people just in terms of their, their sun sign archetypes. Uh, some level, you, you, you lose that. You lose that in order to sort of move forward, which is concerning because the sun sign archetype archetype, uh, uh, dialogue is like the backbone of of, um, our relationship with the non-astrological world. So as soon as you stop being able to to look at things that way, you you lose the easiest way to talk about astrology with, with, you know, the, the average person. And you got to find a new way, which is what I'm working on. <laughs> right. So, but you're you're mainly mainly speaking about like the complexity in the chart and the complexity of the archetypes as they're interacting with each other. Is, is that kind of what you're meaning? Yeah, I, I mean, it's it just uh, you you can't go around with the assumptions that um, all Virgos are going to be self-conscious, all Leos are going to be egomaniacs, all Cancers want to just stay at home all the time. <laughs> right. Eventually, you you. You know, you see too many exceptions to those rules to sort of keep spouting those. Yeah. You know, they're the kinds of things you can say often enough and they'll be true or they'll be true to, you know, enough of a degree that you can get away with them. Uh, but when you're really looking at things honestly, it's not it's not it's just not that simple. And why would it be? Um, that's the problem with uh 
with that whole situation is astrology is really meant to be something that uh, addresses individuality, addresses distinction. And yet in order to even make a case for it, we have to go out and tell the world that there are only 12 kinds of people. Right. So it's an interesting conundrum. Um, it's sort of this necessary introduction uh, to the subject that, um, you know, as soon as you go a little bit further, you realize this is one of the first things you got to um, omit from your, your, you know, talking points. Well, let's talk about uh, Time Twins, This, which is this work that you just presented at UAC, and it sounds like you're going to um, eventually turn this work into into a book. Is that right? Eventually. Eventually. I, I'm going to – I've got a – Working on Uranus first. Working on Uranus first, and there'll be a, a few other planetary books I want to do after that. Um, but eventually, the, the, the Time Twins one is, is an interesting subject because – um, I think mainly because the the um, the Time Twins um, book would be a sort of compilation of different uh, uh, astrological techniques and planetary cycles, each of which I want to address separately in their own books. And and the Time Twins book would sort of be a um, something that I'm building up towards. Right. Yeah. Because you mentioned and and. In your UAC talk, you you were kind of using the Venus cycles, and then also a l little bit about the Uranus cycles there at the end of the talk. Um, and this sounds like this talk you'll you'll be making that I'm referring to. You'll be making it available in the next couple of months, sometime on your on your website. So um, we'll post that information for the listeners. Um, we'll we'll post links to that um, when when they when they come up. Um, but what what got you interested in looking at at time twins? Ah, well, actually, that's um, a, a good segue compared to what we were just talking about. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, because I'm I'm interested in so many different um, biographies, and I've been doing the the, the database for quite a while. Um, eventually, I, I found myself with with sizable amounts of research on different people who happen to be born quite close together, and because my my work is so focused on looking at transit, it occurred to me, uh, you know, obviously, that if I'm looking at charts of different people born the same day or the same week, that these are people who would be getting the same transits at more or less the same time over the course of their lives. And I thought it would be very interesting to sort of look at them in parallel with each other. Um, back in 2004, 2005, I, um, when I was still blogging on MySpace, I, um, I did an article at the time that was about the Venus cycle following the Venus cycle in the lives of um, Miles Davis, Marilyn Monroe, and Allen Ginsberg. Mm -hmm. That was the first sort of time, the first bit of Time Twins material that I, I uh, wrote about and uh, um, put out there. And it was, it was pretty well received. Um, at this point, I sort of, uh, um, I've got so much mo more work done on all three of those people than I had at the time. I, I sort of think of that article as being obsolete, but it was a good sort of way to get started on this. Um, and then when it came time to apply for um, UAC, I, I, at that point I was just sort of contemplating doing it, and, and I proposed it as a subject. And what, then, of course, once they accepted it as a subject, I had to go and uh, uh, put it all together for a presentation. Um, and, and thankfully, by that point, I'd, I'd, I had enough of these sort of loose threads that I could um, throw together and, and, and turn into a, a relatively cohesive talk. Um, the, the talk I did at UWAC, indeed, it touches on the different, I, I set it up so that I could talk about um, different things with different groups of people. I started off talking about um, Adolf Hitler and Charlie Chaplin, uh, which is one of the, the famous uh, pairings, astrological pairings that people like to look at. Uh, they were born four days apart, and you know, of course, they both have the funny little mustache. Uh, and I looked at, I talked about their charts. They were, they were both born with natal Venus retrograde and, uh, Hitler even died during the same Venus retrograde cycle that he was born under. And, uh, I, I just, I went through both their lives sort of parallel and showed how this one Venus retrograde, uh, uh, phase that occurs once every eight years had a sort of recurring prominent role in both their biographies. So I started with that. Uh, then I went to talking about the Mars cycle and, uh, for that, I used, I think, Johnny Cash and Elizabeth Taylor, who were born a day apart. 
day or two apart, I think just a day apart. Mm-hmm. And uh, then after that, I went and, and I, I dug up my old Miles Davis, uh, uh, Marilyn Monroe and, and uh, Allen Ginsberg work. But for them, I didn't talk about the Venus cycle this time. I, I sort of I, I talked about the Venus, Mars uh, and Saturn cycles with them because I had so much more work done with their charts. And then I think at the end, I, I had a little time left. So I talked about Uranus a bit and I talked about Margaret Thatcher and Lenny Bruce Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, but I've, I've got a bunch more, there, there are so many of those, the time twins talk that, that I did at UAC was just really just a sample of all the different, uh, examples I've looked at and put together and that would eventually be in the book. Um, you know, I, I think, um, what might be nice here for the listeners is, is if you, if you're open to doing a little off the cuff, um, sharing some of the info here and, and in honor of an event that we have going on in Portland right now called Trek in the Park. I was wondering if maybe you could share something about uh, William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy. Trek in the Park is a, an event where um, a local uh, acting troupe gets together in a, in a park every summer and reenacts one of the episodes of Star Trek. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty fun, pretty fun event. Um, Coast. Um, that sounds terrific. Um, yeah, well, I, indeed, uh, Shatner and Nimoy um, were people that I could have discussed at UAC. At the last minute, I didn't because the example is a little more complex and there, there oh, okay. wasn't as much time to get into it. But it's it's easy enough to, to, to talk about here and now. Um, they are both... Um, they're both Aries. They're born, they're born about four days apart, I believe. I'm just pulling up their files. Um, yeah, Shatner's born March 22nd and Nimoy on March 26, 1931. Um, and so um, with both of them having early the sun in early Aries, um, I, I have in my Star Trek file, I have charts cast for the broadcast of every Star Trek episode. <laughs> and also, in, uh, in many cases, the dates that they were taped, uh, because you can even find that. The great thing about uh, obsessive Trekkie uh, um, is that you can, you know, you can find out, you know, for instance, um, every Trekkie knows that Plato's stepchildren, the episode where, where, uh, you know, Captain Kirk kissed Lieutenant Uhura and made television history. Everyone, that episode broadcast the 22nd of November, 1968. (laughs) And know that that episode was actually filmed between the 9th of September and 15th of September, 1968. So that kind of uh, that, that's what I dug into looking at this. Now, the interesting thing that Star Trek was filmed uh, between uh, sort of mid 1966 and the very beginning of 1969. And over the so the, over the course of this sort of three years that they were doing the show, less than three years that they were taping the show, um, transiting Saturn went through Aries. And transiting Uranus entered uh, uh, Libra, actually not long before that Plato's Stepchildren episode broadcast. Um, so I look at um, Shatner and Nimoy's, uh, uh, you know, obviously in this this brief uh, three-year period that they work together, um, their lives are being transformed. But in a strange way, because they're, they're becoming stars, but not nearly the stars that they're going to be once the show goes off the air and into syndication. Star Trek is one of these shows that, you know, took a little while to catch on. It was really just because it was popular with audiences that it survived at all and because of the rerun phenomenon. Mm-hmm. So that's that's part of the, the the interesting thing of their fame to me is that it, it you know, it didn't all happen at once. Um, so, you know, you see that, the, for instance, when the Saturn transit goes into Aries, not long after they start doing the show, they're both getting... Uh, as soon as Saturn goes into Aries, this is when the network started trying to cancel the show. Uh, the The history of the show is such that uh, NBC, I think, tried two other times before they finally did cancel the show. There were two other times that they announced they were going to. And then there was a letter writing campaign on behalf of the fans that kept the show going. Uh, so the, the, the first part of looking at their... Um, uh, at their astrology, um, is, 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 you know, the show goes on for about six months and then Saturn goes into Aries, uh, starts to make the conjunction to both Shatner and Nimoy's son and boom, the network is trying to shut down the show and they're moving it around the schedule, which is really, you know, at one point they're going to have, um, Tuesdays at seven thirty, and, and that's a really great time, but then it moves to Friday at eight thirty, which is a terrible time for the show because that's when young people are out, you know, 
right. enjoying themselves and what have you. So the, the, all that kind of stuff is going on during the Saturn uh, uh, transit when it's particularly strong. And then in the fall of 1968, when Uranus goes into um, Libra at the same time as the South Node and Jupiter, they're both getting that opposition transit. Well, first of all, this is when um, that, that famous episode, Plato's Stepchildren airs, uh, and Shatner, you know, becomes sort of part of TV history, if you will, uh, a, with that Uranus opposition to his son. But I think most importantly, that opposition still in effect when they tape the last ep of the episode of the show and they're canceled. Um, because, you know, right at this point where they think they've they've lost their, um, uh, you know, their, their, their warm meal, uh, you know, their, their meal ticket, if you will, um, Little do they know that the show's going to sort of take off a life on their own and and make them bigger stars than they ever imagined. So um, it, it it's it's funny and and the the subtle distinction I guess between Shatner and Nimoy's charts is such that um, Nimoy has natal Mercury a lot closer to Uranus in the North Node than Shatner does. Um, and that that sort of points toward the the you know the unique uh, nature of his uh, of his character and the way his character looks. Uh, even people who never watched Star Trek knew who Mister Spock was and what he looked like. Basically, with with uh, Nimoy having a Gemini moon, Uranus moved into Sagittarius not long after the show ended, and that sort of symbolized the for him his relationship with the Mr. Spock character who for a little while he really tried to distance himself from and then eventually you know, really had to embrace when the movies became popular in the, in the eighties and what have to, what have you. So there's a sort of trajectory there. Like I said, it's a bit of a complex example because I'm not just talking about one planet. I'm talking about Saturn and Uranus and Neptune, but they all sort of figure in the story. These, these two thrown together, they only, Work together, like I said, for less than three years, but you know, because of that magic fairy dust of television, it it wound up um, tying the, tying them together for much longer. The other thing uh, going on about Saturn, like I said, they both have um, they both have the Sun in early Aries, and as the show was starting to hit rough waters with the network, about six months into the first season, uh, Saturn was making the conjunction to both their suns, and they both had to you know, spend their days thinking that their show might get canceled at any time. I guess that's something that actors often face, but it must have been especially hard on both of them. Um, but uh, Shatner, since he's got the Taurus moon, um, the show actually stopped taping just as Saturn went into Taurus and was making the conjunction to his moon right at the time of the last broadcast. And I know, uh, and I know from their biographies that Shatner's life, right when Star Trek stopped taping, uh, was really rough. He he split up with his wife and they got divorced not long after the show ended, and he wound up living in a in a trailer for a little while. And he describes watching, uh, ironically, our just recently departed Neil Armstrong. Uh, he watched the moon landing in July of 1969, uh, living in a trailer, you know, with the TV on his belly, so to speak, uh, and thinking to himself, "Gee, you know, six months ago." I was the guy who was the captain in outer space, and now I'm some bum in a trailer, and this thing's really happening. Um, right. As opposed to as opposed to Nimoy, who doesn't have the moon in Taurus, he's got the moon in Gemini, uh, and his career was fine after Star Trek ended. He immediately went from Star Trek to being uh, to having a role on the show Mission Impossible, and so you know uh, he was able to navigate the the end of Star Trek a little easier at the beginning than Shatner was. And that's despite all the similarities in their horoscopes and how some transits were happening to both in a, the, both of them at the same time. Uh, when the show ended, I think that Saturn transit being in Taurus uh, is, is part of what indicates why Shatner's life was, was harder at that time than Nimoy's. Right. But uh, as the planets keep moving, it's it, it uh, even though if you had talked to him at that moment and it seemed really grim, things actually exactly. <laughs> improved quite a bit exactly. later. As it turned out, he, you know, he, his his fate was already sealed in a very good way. Uh, things just had to take their time. The first Star Trek conference uh, convention didn't happen until 1972. And that kind of took people by surprise because they realized that this show that had been off the air for three years uh, had this massive following that just kept growing thanks to reruns. Um, 
so yeah, that's you know, the, there's always there's always light at the end of the tunnel. Well, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about the Venus cycles, which are part of this, you know, work that you're. Yeah, like you said, you're looking at several cycles with the with the time twins work. But you you wrote about the Venus retrograde <clears throat> cycles and and the Venus cycles in um, this new book that just came out that we're both part of Astrology: The New Generation. Right. And uh, maybe we can just start by, um, you know, explaining in uh, in somewhat um, non-technical terms for for folks who who aren't sort of familiar with the synodic cycles. Like, why why are these Venus cycles important? Okay. Well, I'll, first up, for for the for people who aren't familiar with them, I'll, I'll briefly explain what the cycle is. Um, in an eight-year period, um, the orbit of Venus is such that there are five periods within eight, that eight-year period. There are five times, five moments, when um, Venus's uh, transit around the sun uh, puts it right next to planet Earth as we're going around the sun. So we're sort of both going, uh, we're both circling the sun in, in the same sort of uh, uh same area, if you will. So Venus in, is effectively in between um, planet Earth and the Sun. Um, because astrology is is done uh, with, from a, a geocentric perspective, uh, this sort of creates this this um, optical illusion that makes it appear as though Venus is stopping in the sky and moving backwards, and then stops again and then starts to move forward. Um, this is why we call them retrograde. So though what, what, what's really happening is the planet is coming a lot closer to Earth than it usually is. Um, all, the, all the planets go retrograde. Naturally, the, the sun and moon don't, but any of the other planets go retrograde, and all for the same reason, all because they're coming very close to Earth, and it makes them look like they're going backward. Sort of like that same sensation you, you get when you're on a train that isn't moving, and you're next to one that is, and it makes you feel like your train is moving, and vice versa. Um, so that's the, the sort of the, the, the way to explain the, the phenomenon itself. Now, why are they important? Um, well, the, the speed of planets, the apparent speed, if you will, of planets uh, from a geocentric perspective uh, has always played an important role in, in astrology, uh, slightly less in modern astrology, although it's, it's, it's also pretty important, certainly with our observation of the outer planets, which move extremely slow. Um, but the, the thing about Venus and Mars, their retrograde cycles are more rare than the other planets. You know, Mer Mercury goes retrograde every three months. Uh, Jupiter and Saturn are retrograde for a third of the year. Uh, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto are retrograde for half the year. So it doesn't seem quite so remarkable uh, uh, in, it, in and of itself to say that, that any of those planets are retrograde uh, because it, it's something that happens often enough. But Venus just goes retrograde five times in an eight-year period. Um, the, the retrograde itself lasts about 40 days. Um, you can look at the phase at a sort of within a, a in a context of about 100 to 140 days. If you count the time that it, it sort of shines brightest and then starts to slow down and uh, sinks and then comes up again. Uh, but one way or the other, you're talking about a very brief period of time. Even if you take sort of the, the maximum, you know, let's say um, uh, 140 days uh, from from the, gr uh, the, the greatest helical rising to the um, greatest helical setting, um, that, that 140 day period, five times in an eight year period, that still only makes it a ratio that, that, that Venus, retro, Venus retrogrades only occur about one-sixth to one-seventh of total time. So you're talking about this little sort of relatively small fraction of total time um, that you can observe in many different uh, uh, contexts, vive uh, national contexts like I did in, in, in the book you're talking about, Astrology for the New Generation, um, or astrology, is it astrology the New Generation, not for the New Generation. <laughs> right. We're the new generation. <laughs> right. uh, so you can do it in, in, in the book. I look at the, the Venus retrograde cycle relative to the history of the United States, uh, Germany, and Russia. Um, and then, you know, for instance, in Time Twins, like I was saying, I use the Venus retrograde cycle to look at the lives of uh, Adolf Hitler and Charlie Chaplin sort of concurrently. 
Um, it's also, I can say, I can use the Venus retrograde cycle uh, to talk about the entire lives of people like Roman Polanski or J. Edgar Hoover um, and, and a number of other uh, uh, you know, notable people in, in show business or politics or the arts. Um, so it, it basically what you get is some people's lives that the, you, you see how some people's lives um, are really timed um, by the cycles of certain planets. There are people that I think of as Venus people and people I think of as Mars people. Um, I, do, I can do the same thing with the Mars retrograde. The Mars retrograde is also quite rare. It also only occurs about one-sixth to one-seventh of total time. Um, and again, I can use the Mars retrograde cycle uh, to talk about the chronologies of people like Bob Dylan or Paul McCartney, um, and again, a number of other people, really interesting people. Um, so you're saying that that one um, cycle in particular, Mars or Venus, might be more prominent in a certain person's life. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and it's not always super obvious. Like when you look at Paul McCartney's chart, you don't necessarily think that oh, Mars is going to be the planet here that that you know. Uh, uh, goes retrograde at, at every twist and turn, every major twist and turn in this guy's life. But I can really make a case that it does. Um, so it's it's an interesting way to study astrology. It shows you some things that you wouldn't necessarily glean from a birth chart at first glance. Um, and yet it's it's incredibly reliable. And And because of the rarity of those cycles, I think it's one of the best cases you can make for astrology to skeptics. Um, because there's just there's a, there's a, at this point I have so so many examples too, uh, and that and that brings me to this question that that I have eternally that I'm kind of obsessed with every morning, which is um, what and what do we do with that, that information now that we have it? <laughs> yeah, no, good question. Um, I'll tell you what I'm going to do with it. Um, as long as I'm alive and healthy, my main objective is to write. Um, a series of nonfiction astrology books. And um, basically, I, I, I want to be an author uh, who uses astrology to make art. Because um, in my experience, looking at all the history I have, um, the, the, one of the, the, the best tools for sort of social and political change is, is to make art um, and to change the world with art as opposed to running for office. And... Um, you know, it's it's one of those those side questions that comes up, like what is astrology? Is it a science? Is it an art? And I don't really claim to know the answer to that. I would not say astrology is an art, but I would say you can use astrology as a tool to make art. Sure. Um, and that's really that's the only thing I know how to do. You know, I'm never going to be um, general secretary of the United Nations or anything like that. You know, um, so uh, like 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 other people who um, who've just been sort of lone wolf individuals who uh, felt they had something to say about the world and something to reveal to the world. Um, you, you do it through through creation, through your own creation. And um, that's really the only thing I know how to do. I, I wasn't really while I while I want to write books that sort of teach people astrology, I didn't want to write textbooks per se. So I've decided on, on, you know, I'm just going to write <laughs> books that are hopefully interesting enough as literature that just happen to have astrology in them uh, and, and try to use that to um, spread the word, I suppose, is, is what we're getting at. Um, not that I see myself as an evangelist, but I do feel, I really feel that there is a whole audience out there of people who would love astrology, who would really find it interesting if they understood a little bit more about it. Um, I think a lot of, I can understand why a lot of thinking people um, are turned off and looked down on uh, astrology simply because all they know about it are, you know, sun sign horoscopes and maybe a couple of negative experiences with uh, new age philosophy or, or a general negative attitude towards it. Uh, and that's all they need to really dismiss it. Um, while it's it's not something that uh, something I think is is right or just or or sensible, I can understand people having that you know kind of contempt for astrology because why shouldn't they given what they know? 
Right, and then and then how can also how can the informa- this information be useful to to people on a personal level? Like, um, you know, say you had a chance to talk to uh, <laughs> Leonard Nimoy or or anybody, you know, where you I, you'd identified the importance of this specific cycle um, for them. Let's say it was a Venus cycle. Um, how how could you um, share that information to them in a way that might be useful for them and the choices that they make going forward? Like, you know, um, I can see that some people might hear this and and if you were talking to them about a, a particular cycle and identified certain events from their history as being pivotal that when another one of those cycles comes up they're kind of like a, you know biting their chewing their fingernails and, <laughs> and worried like what's going to happen and uh and so what would you what would you share with somebody in that situation well that is the double edged sword of astrology i see I, ironically i see astrologers do this to their clients as much as i see them do this to themselves uh you know uh you're like me tony you got a lot of astrologer friends i'm sure you've seen people making themselves crazy because they know they're going to get that big Saturn or Pluto transit next year and they're all scared about what's going to happen in it. Yeah. Sort of, you know, taking their lives over and things like that. And I dare say there's a good chance that both you and I have put ourselves in that position uh, as well at certain times. Um, Definitely. But that is the double-edged sword and not not terribly healthy, although probably inevitable if you're really going to study astrology seriously. Um, the the in terms of in terms of how this information helps people, I'll say this: um, I, I knowledge being prepared with knowledge does help you cope with the things in life that you can't change. Um, because I mean, obviously in astrology we talk a lot about the choices we make, and obviously that's uh, you know crucial to to living uh, a successful and or healthy life is is to make the right choices for oneself. But when it comes to understanding these cycles, when you find yourself in those situations, it can be helpful to know. Uh, if for no other reason than to understand that this is, you know, this is just sort of uh, a moment in time that, that happens to affect you a certain way. Not unlike, that the analogy I would use is, is daylight. You know, back in the days of prehistoric, man and woman um you know we have this this uh, this notion i don't know if this is the way it actually was but we have this notion that you know whenever the whenever night fell whenever the sky got dark uh um our ancestors would have you know cowered and thought the world was ending uh or let's use a more extreme example eclipses you know suddenly the sky goes dark in the middle of the day nobody knows what's happening and they're cowering in caves and thinking the world's going to end not understanding that this is just sort of a moment in time, an astro- astronomical phenomenon. Um, and, and whereas, you know, nowadays when we, you know, we understand, oh, there's going to be a solar eclipse, people aren't hiding in caves in, in fear just because the sky's gone dark. They understand perfectly well what's going on and it's kind of interesting and they just sort of get on with it. Um, and I think um, when, when you... You make people aware. I, I've done this in consultations. You tell someone, well, you know, such and such Venus retrograde in your past has coincided with, uh, you know, two different breakups, uh, filing for divorce, and a time that you, you know, uh, found out your your kid was uh, skipping school or you know something like that. So it's often kind of, uh, you know, a challenging time for you. And now you know that every eight years for a few months. Uh, you're going to enter into one of these challenging times and you can be prepared and sort of attentive to what's going around you. Maybe it helps you respond a little faster, a little more efficiently to whatever crisis emerges at that time. Uh, Or even if even if you don't, even if it doesn't help in any way and disaster ensues, you're you're still left with just a bit more sort of uh, um, emotional strength to cope with it all. Because you know it's not sort of the end of the world. It's this little phase in your life that pops up uh, on a very regular uh, basis every eight years. And that as soon as it, you know, just as sure as it's come, it's also going to go and and you'll be able to get on with things. Um, So I think that's that's really it. You know, um, living life is is a challenging thing. It's not... not all of it can be solved with with uh, sort of glib and positive sounding um, superficial solutions. You know, sometimes life really just needs to be coped with, 
and uh, and even as you know, even if if astrology can't always succeed as a tool for uh, uh, bettering one's circumstances, it can also it, it's it's an excellent tool for coping with with circumstances. Right. Well, let's talk about your uh, work on Uranus a little bit before we before we finish up today. That's the next. That's the the book that you have in the works, right? The first book I'm doing. Uh, it's called What's Up, Uranus. <laughs> I don't know why you find that funny, Tony. Uh, it's it's, uh, it's it's a big book. Um, it, there are twelve chapters. It basically follows the transit of Uranus through the twelve tropical signs and covers the lives. I'm I'm still working on the editing. It's going to be anywhere between two hundred and three hundred famous people and what what was happening little anecdotal stories about what was happening in their lives during the course of their uranus transit to either the sun or moon i'm i'm looking at conjunctions and oppositions to the natal sun and moon of uranus um so for instance uh, you know i can't think of that there's so many different people it's the kind of book it's got you know um it's got uh, Queen Victoria, but it's also got Paris Hilton. Uh, it's also got Thelonious Monk. It's also got, um, you know, Jean Harlow. So it's it's uh, uh, so, some some old history, some sort of modern uh, pop culture stuff all thrown together. Um, the book is actually really about the tropical zodiac. Uranus may be the protagonist in the book. I, I liken it to Uranus is Dorothy, and and the tropical zodiac is the yellow brick road. And uh, the What's Up Uranus, um, you know, Odyssey is sort of a, an examination of Uranus as Dorothy uh, wandering along a sort of perpetual, never-ending yellow brick road, encountering different wacky characters and situations and what have you. And that's sort of the, the, the take on the book. Um, the, I do plan that I'm doing these two series of planet books with two very different intentions and audiences. I'm doing... Uh, a series of the outer planet books. In other words, there will be a What's Up Neptune and a What's Up Pluto uh, done in much the same way that I'm doing What's Up Uranus. Uh, and these books are aimed, are, are, are aimed at the astrology community. They're a challenge to astrologers. The, the challenge being um, when you have a three to 400 page book full of transits of one planet uh, uh, the descriptions of the transit of, of one planet, it gets harder and harder to associate that planet with, you know, 10 or 20 keywords that one applies. Uh, Rebellion or, yeah, revolution. Or, yeah, exactly. I want to, I, I deliberately sort of want to disabuse astrologers of relying on that convenient, cozy set of keywords. I think the keywords are certainly... They're, they're helpful at a learning stage of getting a handle on a planet. Um, but if you're still clinging to the same 20 words uh, 10 or 20 years into your studies, then, then you, you're probably holding yourself back. Um, so the, 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 that's the, 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 the aim of the Outer Planet books is that I want to um, uh, I, I want, I, I want, I want to force everyone into sort of taking more of a risk in terms of how we uh, uh, allow ourselves to understand these bodies and, and describe them to people. Uh, so that's the aim in those books. And then the other series of books I'm going to do um, will be on the visible planets. And those books are the challenge to the skeptic community uh, for reasons that I was sort of talking about earlier. Right. In particular, the Venus and Mars books. Um, when I put, you know, the, the, the little sort of... Um, chapter I did in our in our compilation astrology of the new generation I you know it's it's somewhat interesting for a few pages but when you can put together several hundred pages of, of uh, you know again non-fictional uh, uh, um, you know totally totally fact uh, material that can be fact-checked and 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 verified mm -hmm. a lot of sort of biographical and historical anecdotal stories about the cycles of Venus and Mars, it's going to be a lot harder to just sort of, at least for skeptics to say there's no evidence. It's fine to say that there's no proof. 
but I think the outer, pl- the, the visible planet books rather will at least uh, make it harder for people to say that there's no evidence of astrology because I think it certainly qualifies as evidence. But that's easy for me to say. Uh, <laughs> have to get those books out and and see if other people agree um but that's that's sort of the aim between the two series so i, I want to challenge both groups in very different ways i guess well, that sounds really great can't wait to read them and and best of luck getting them out there for sure you said you did some study of uh, hellenistic astrology um are are you do you use um whole sign Houses when you look at charts sometimes, or or do you just use um, Placidus, or or what's your approach there? Yeah, no, I've been, I've been using whole sign houses now uh, for about fourteen years. The thing that uh, Hellenistic astrology was understanding that there's a sort of there was a separation at one point, whereas you you had one division of the the circle that applied to topics, and then another division of the circle that applied to strength and dynamics um, in, in, in a sort of when in, in modern astrology, if you're using what we would call a dynamic house system, if, if you're using Placidus or Koch or, or what, what have you, um, using any, any, basically any house system other than whole sign houses, you wind up conflating these two different uh, uh, ways of dividing up the circle. You, you wind up conflating, uh, uh, dividing the circle, but, you know, by virtue of, of topic uh, and by virtue of, of dynamic, of, of, of planetary strength. Uh, whereas using whole sign houses, the, the, the idea behind using whole sign houses is uh, that the signs themselves uh, um, demarcate, are, demarcate areas of, of topic. You know, um, if you have Taurus rising, then Taurus is... A, is Taurus itself applies to, to anything that pertains to the first house and so forth. Um, whereas dynamic houses are really just about showing what planets are close to what angles uh, and, and therefore, you know, what level of, of strength and or intensity they may have, which is a very different question from, uh, in, you know, just having 12 different regions that apply to topic. So I think that was part of my attraction to the idea. I guess the other idea was very early on in astrology, it seemed uh, one of the first things that always spoke to me, and this actually brings me back to, I guess, why I'm doing What's Up Uranus is my first book uh, uh, about the tropical zodiac, is I was always very aware of, of uh, or very struck by how um, planets making an ingress to a new sign uh, really tended to denote some sort of new... Uh, new set of circumstances or new situation. I'll give you an example. Um, like I said, before, when I first was discovering astrology, I was discovering the ephemeris. And one of the things that just sort of leapt out at me, uh, really strikingly, was, was seeing that the First World War began just as Pluto was making an ingress to Cancer, and that the Second World War began just as Pluto was making its ingress to Leo. Uh, that that the ingress of this outer planet to a new sign was heralding this you know f- enormous change in in global society, and the further I go, the more this seems to be true. Um, what's up, Uranus? Most astrology books begin with Aries, right? I mean, if you had twelve chapters of an astrology book, one chapter named after every sign, wouldn't you think the first chapter would be Aries? Uh, the Uranus book actually begins with Gemini. Uh, and the reason for this is I, I right from the get-go, I introduce something that I'm, I'm certainly not the first astrologer to point this out, uh, is, is the, the uh, amazing parallel in American history that coincides with Uranus's transit through Gemini. Um, if you go back to history, you look at the periods when Uranus has transited through Gemini. Uh, for those who don't know, Uranus takes 84 years to go around the zodiac and spends about seven and a half years in each of the 12 signs. So if you go back to the 1770s as the American Revolution begins, the American Revolution begins, you know, basically with the, the, the Continental Congress as Uranus is making its ingress to Gemini. And Uranus is just leaving Gemini and going into Cancer um, when the American Revolution ends. And then you jump ahead 80 years and Uranus and Gemini also perfectly bookends uh, the, the, the Lincoln-Douglas uh, the Lincoln Douglas debates to the end of the American Civil War. 
And then you jump ahead another 80 years and Uranus's transit through Gemini perfectly bookends uh, uh, the United States entry into the Second World War up to about the time when the Soviets discover uh, the, the, you know, the nuclear bomb. Um, so there, there, there are these really elegant sort of uh, uh, beginnings and endings that you can use uh, a simple, you know, planetary ingress to, to demarcate relative to history. Uh, and and it, it's the simplicity that really struck me. And, and so right from the get-go, uh, I was almost more convinced uh, on the uh, you know, validity of the tropical zodiac than I was of houses or, uh, uh, you know, even signs, signs as, as symbolic constructs. Just the idea that if we, if we trisect the, 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 the area between an equinox point and a solstice point or vice versa, uh, that it, it becomes this, this zone, this very uh, visible and, and um, unique zone in the circle uh, where uh, that that seems to apply itself to to certain set of circumstances or situations, such as you know America, uh, the United States, and Gemini. I do similar things in the book. I can make a similar case for say Russia and Uranus and Capricorn, uh, or Great Britain and Uranus and Sagittarius, or even my country Canada and Uranus and Cancer. Um, and to some degree, France and Uranus and Leo, although it has a lot more to do with their, their relationship with the arts than just sort of uh, uh, physical revolution, although they certainly are no slouches at that. Um, so th that's, that's basically it. The, the, um, I, I forget how we even touched on this. Uh, we were talking about um, whole sign houses and, and, uh, versus, uh, and the differences. You were talking about dynamic versus um, are, the areas of topic. Exactly. So I guess this is this is what I was looking at. The, the, my entry in whole sign houses, uh, it made sense to me because my entry into astrology had so much to do with following ingresses in the first place. Uh, and this way, what I the way I construct my charts is I design them, the chart wheels, in such a way that I can look at whole sign houses, but I'm still using porphyry houses to determine the angles. So I'm actually using two house systems at once, um, in the ways that, as far as I can tell, were, they were originally intended to be used, with the whole sign houses applying to topic, and the porphyry houses, um, or at least the angles, I, you know, I'm using porphyry as a sort of default, because it's the oldest of the, the dynamic house systems. Uh, and I use those to just sort of demarcate where the ascendant and midheaven uh, axes are, uh, you know, and that's about it. As, as, it, as things stand now, uh, and as they've been for quite some time, um, when I look at a chart, I'm very conscious of the dynamics of the of the points I'm looking at. Uh, because I've got the ephemeris more or less memorized, I can look at a chart and I'm like, oh yeah, Jupiter's about 20 days from stationing retrograde in this chart. Uh, so this person's, you know, progressed Jupiter went retrograde 20, you know, in their 20th year, or... Um, uh, you know, I'll be aware, oh yeah, the, that Venus and Mars are headed for a conjunction about a month away. Th that's something I need to think about. And I, I, I've, I've sort of um, almost lost the ability to look at a chart and regard it simply for its uh, inherent sort of uh, symbolism and like as if it's sort of frozen in time. Right. I see, I see the movement too much, and I think that has made it harder for me to um, to sort of hold on to that level of uh, um, of of you know observing the archetypes, I guess. Well, I think that's a real that's a real gift, though. I mean, it's like it's your gift, and you're you're just giving it space to to be that way, rather than trying to force this other perspective. And so, you know, just celebrate that. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, the thing about astrology clearly is that it belongs to all of us. Um, and, you know, while, while as part of me, you know, I, I do feel that um, that's at some level, this is a phenomenon of nature and that, you know, there is a science to it. Uh, it's, it, you know, there are two kinds of science. There's the science we've figured out so far and the science we haven't figured out so far. And who knows, maybe there's even some science that is completely impossible for a human uh, being to ever 
access. You know, there may just be mysteries out there that we'll never really get a handle on. And maybe astrology is one of them. But for the time being, I feel that, you know, just like uh, um, getting Neil Armstrong to the moon or anything else, that it's something that, you know, with a lot of work and, uh, um, you know, uh, um, testing and, 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 and investigation that eventually, you know, it, it's, it's, inf- it's knowledge we can arrive at. Um, so with that in mind, I try not to, um, I try not to get too stuck in the, how do I put this? I, I, I try not to get too attached to the value we assign to astrology. And I try to be a fly on the wall. I know it's very hard because obviously I'm another human being on the planet. I'm, I'm just as tied to the subjective perspective as anyone else. But when I'm doing astrology, I do try to at least pretend that I'm some alien on the moon observing human life in a detached and uh, uninvolved way and trying to look at you know, the whole picture objectively. And when I do that, um, it's easier for me to observe things like uh, transiting planetary ingresses and stations and things like that. And it's less easy for me to sort of look at a chart using two different house systems and try to decide which one uh, applies, you know, is more appropriate uh, in linking um, uh, symbolism with uh, real life events or, or, you know, human, human emotion, as it were, if we're talking about uh, depth psychology. So I think there's, you know, it's such a, astrology gets likened to an elephant very often, right? We always talk about how we're just, you know, different blind people touching different part of an elephant and describing it in different ways. Um, it's, it's a massive elephant. And, and I think I'm just sort of touching a different part of the elephant maybe than or what you are. Um, and it might not even be possible. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, eventually these things will either sort of, these different approaches to astrology will, will congeal in some kind of way, or maybe they'll always just be uh, um, divided by sort of cultural and intellectual uh, um, preferences and, and, and perspectives. You know, I don't know, but um, it, it's, it's just the way things have, have sort of developed in my investigation of astrology. I've, I've lost one set of skills in order to pursue another, I guess. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely an interesting topic, and it's a, the elephant metaphor is a great one. Um, well, you know, I, I thought we'd finish up with one of my sort of inside the actor studio questions that I always ask everybody that I interview, um, which is you can you can answer this in any way that you like, um, but just uh, fate or free will. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. This is. <laughs> it's a good one. Um, if I wasn't, you know, even before I became involved in astrology, it seemed pretty obvious to me that um, people have, people are are, are blessed uh, with different levels of fate or free will. Some people seem to have a lot more control over the outcome of their lives than others do. Um, I have never for a second ever thought that life was purely one or the other, that there's this um, magical blend. And it's not, it's just like everything else in life. It's not like it's distributed fairly either. Um, You know, there there, there are clearly some things about life that are fate. Uh, Your gender, your family, your ethnicity, the, the period in history that you're born, the region that you're born. I mean, clearly these are fated. Um... You know, at least in a in a sort of, uh, uh, I mean, I know there are those who say they aren't, but they they, they don't have much of an argument. Uh, uh, you know, we're 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 born, we're sort of we 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 arrive at a set of, a set of circumstances, and that's that. Um, and then depending on who we are, you know, if you're if you're born um, a starving, diseased baby in Africa who doesn't have much chance of survival. Uh, and indeed, you you know you, you pass away not long after that. Uh, clearly, you're not someone who was offered much free will because you know if you really had uh, that much free will over your life, you you probably would have fought harder to survive. Uh, 
it's just sort of, you know, some people are handed a set of circumstances that they simply can't overcome. And history books are full of those. Um, at the same time, you know, there are the miracles. There are the people who, you know, were born under incredibly oppressive circumstances with, with not much hope of success or survival and not only managed to do so, but, but really, you know, shine spectacularly. Um, these are people who clearly sort of took life in their own hands and, and really guided the course of their lives. Um, so I, I don't think, that to get to the answer to your question, I never think of it as fate or free will, just sort of, you know, how much of one or the other is at one's disposal, disposal at a given time. Um, it, it's even, you know, it's, it's, I think this is part of what astrology, uh, the, the deeper we go, the more it's going to address is, is when do we have, when, when are days where we have a greater, the, our greatest access to, uh, you know, free will. And when, when are we just simply trapped, you know, at least temporarily, if not permanently. Um, cause I, I, you know, even in the, even from one individual to the other, I think the question is sort of, uh, fluid, you know, um, over the course of my life, there've been times when really I could have made whatever choice I wanted. And there were other times when I was really, you know, bound by, uh, either responsibility or circumstances or, or, you know, uh, even just physical limitation at times when you're, when you're ill or things like that, there's, there's, you know, there's only, your choices become a lot more limited. Um, so I don't, I, I don't, I don't like to, you know, just flat out answer that question on a one or the other. Uh, even without astrology, it's very apparent to me, very obvious to me that that um, that both both those uh, both those options exist in human existence. Uh, some of us have a lot more of one than the other, and that's the way it goes. Great. Thank you. Yeah. And, and thanks, uh, for your work. I mean, it's been great, um, chatting and, and, uh, I for one look forward to, uh, to the books that you're putting out. And I just think it's really, um, important that the work that you're doing because, uh, you know, on so many levels, um, because of, a, a, you know, the way astrology is perceived in the world and, and all that, it's important to look back at history, but it's also just really, really rich on so many levels. It can teach us uh, so much, and it's something we, we tend to, it seems like it's easy for us not to do. It's easy for us just to sort of set our sights forward and, and forget history. When when we look back, it's just like um, it really is, the past really is a breathing, living thing that we can interact with um, just as as vibrantly as, as the present and the future. So I think that the work you're doing is really, really awesome. And, and I hope you uh, get all the support that you need to, to do that, <laughs> which is always a big question, right? It is. So is there anything, uh, anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Like, I think you have, um, an event coming up at a state of the art, um, astrology conference, any, any other things you'd like to mention and maybe share those dates with folks? I'm going to be speaking at this year's uh, State of the Art Astrology Conference in Niagara Falls, New York. I keep forgetting the exact dates, but it's sometime around the second, third week of October 2012. We have, and we have it posted on the website if people want to look. Terrific. And um, also next spring, uh, by which point, what's up, Uranus? I plan to do a speaking tour of the West Coast of the United States and eventually the rest of the country. Uh, so I'm in the process of, of uh, booking dates uh, with various local organizations up and down the west coast of the United States and a little bit into the interior. Um, so um, I would suggest to listeners who want to hear me speak either A, look out for uh, an announcement with their local astrology group that uh, I'll be speaking there next spring, or uh, if you don't see such an announcement, demand that I... <laughs> right, that's great. Yeah. Well, thanks, Nick. It's been a it's been a pleasure, and um, and uh, and I hope to have you back on the show again. Tony, thank you very much for having me. Find an astrologer dot com. Illuminate your journey.